Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 228 on the network. Uh, Mark and Will, welcome back to your show. Great to be Thanks, back. Dave. Yeah, you guys, as usual, have a great guest lined up, and mm-hmm. I'll let Mark you introduce him in a second. Just want to thank our audience. We hit a milestone last week, 20,000 subscribers, and I will apologize for my voice in advance. Lots of coaching the last couple of weeks. I had a doubleheader this morning, so I'm uh, I'm coached out with my voice. So you'll have to bear with me the rest of the show. The uh, subscribers now over 20,000. It opened up another account for us, which revealed we have almost 40,000 subscribers now to the to the network with all of our shows. Just want to thank you guys for following instructions. The rate and reviews helped us out a ton uh, with it. 72 countries have been loyal listeners to our podcast, all the way from grassroots to MLB front offices. So we thank you guys for that. Keep rolling. That way, Mark and Will can keep giving you great content every week and bring great guests. So with that, Mark, I'll let you introduce our wonderful guest today. Well, I'm really excited to have Sam Perlazzo on as our guest. He's been a friend for close to 50 years, and uh, we coach together in the major leagues. We coach against each other. Um, we even, I think, played against each other one season. Uh, it's uh it's really it's it's going to be a great interview, and Sam will give a lot of great insights to the game. You know, Sam grew up in Cumberland, Maryland. Went to high school there at Bishop Walsh High School. Uh, from there, he went to George Washington University, um, right in the shadows of the White House. Um, his playing career, he played in the minor leagues for eight seasons with the Minnesota Twins and San Diego Padres organization, mostly with the Twins who. I came up with also. And, uh, you know, during the eight seasons, you know, I, I, when I was looking up and doing Sam's bio, I saw he had 3,786 plate appearances, 423 walks, and only 221 strikeouts, which is phenomenal. Uh, very hard to strike out. Had a 354 on base percentage. Uh, in the major leagues, he played uh, in 77 with the Minnesota Twins and 79 San Diego Padres. And then he went over to Japan and played for the Yukult Swallows in 1980. Um, from there, he became a manager in 1982 in the Mets organization, uh, managing Little Falls, uh, Little Falls with the Mets, Lynchburg with the Mets, and then Jacksonville with the Mets, and then Tidewater. And you could see that was a steady progression upward. Um, he's uh, he's done so much stuff in the minor leagues and and uh, and even finished his career with the Twins uh, as a kind of a roving instructor for infielders. Um, major league uh, coaching experience. There's there. I'd say there's very few, maybe a handful of other coaches that have ever had as much experience at the highest level of the game as Sam. In 87 to 89, he was a New York Bets third base coach. In 1990 to 92, he was the Cincinnati Reds third base coach. 93 to 95, he was Seattle Mariners third base coach. 96 through 2005, he was with the Baltimore Orioles as both a third base coach and bench coach. In 2008, he went back to Seattle as a third base coach. And from 2009 to 2012, he was with the Philadelphia Phillies and was a third base coach and first base coach. So you can see there's a vast number of, of teams that he's been with that were very successful teams. And, uh, you know, he also 
at, at when he was with the Orioles in 2005, they named him the manager from 2005 to 2007 uh, uh, as the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. You know, some of Sam's accomplishments, which are pretty amazing to me because, you know, I was a coach for a long time in the big leagues and had a lot of playoff experience, but I don't know if anybody's had as much as Sam. Um, in 1972, he won the most valuable player at George Washington University. The same year, he was an academic All-American. In 1984, when he was with the Mets, he was the Texas League Manager of the Year. Uh, then in 1986, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame at George Washington University. Uh, in the major leagues, as a coach, he was <clears throat> he had eight seasons where he was in the playoffs. Um, in '88, they uh, he was with the Mets and they lost the NLCS to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Remember the Dodgers? That was the year they beat the Oakland A's with that big time come from behind. Uh, uh, the home run, the home run that started it off. 1990, um, he was the third base coach for the Cincinnati Reds when they beat the Oakland A's in the World Series. Um, phenomenal run by the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I think he swept the the Oakland A's. In 1995, he lost the ALCS. Uh, you were with the Seattle Mariners. He lost to Cleveland. 1996, you. Uh, you lost the ALCS again with the Baltimore Orioles to the New York Yankees. And then in 1997, you lost the ALCS to the Baltimore Orioles again. Uh, I mean, with the Baltimore Orioles again to Cleveland. Um, lost the World Series in 2009 after being the National League champions. Lost to the New York Yankees. And then in your last few years in 10 and 11, uh, you lost in the postseason when you were coaching for the Phillies. So, you know, the one thing people take a note of here is that uh, you're talking about one of the most successful coaches in the history of the game, as far as I'm concerned, with the success that he's had at the highest level with multiple teams. So, you know, that that tells you one thing to me is that sometimes a guy will be with a team for 10, 15 years and have lots of success, but they have – a pretty strong organization, a strong team. Um, you know, Sam did it with multiple organizations uh, and got all the way to the World Series of the ALCS and NLCS. So anyway, we're happy to have you, Sam. Uh, we're excited about, about the next 45 minutes to an hour. Thanks, Marcus. It's been a long time since uh, you've been over here. Was it been a couple of weeks? Yeah. You made you made that bio sound like I'm getting old. I didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're still younger than me. You can tell everyone that you put an asterisk against them. Every time we got beat in the playoffs, it was against Mark Wiley and his Cleveland Indians. Yeah, I, that's I told Sam he must have had a really he must have been up against a really good pitching coach. <laughs> we, beat Sam, we beat we beat Sam with the Seattle Mariners, and then uh, when he was with the Orioles. Um, it was uh, really, really close games, most of the games in both those series. Um, and uh, we were lucky enough to get to the World Series. But both times we got to the World Series, we lost. So I never had a, a World Series championship where I was a, one of the coaches on the field. You know, I, I, look at, I look at some of this bio, which you never, you know, you never really do it that much when you're by yourself or 
But I think one of the most uh, proud things I uh, have done and feel about is I actually, I actually had 26 consecutive years in the big leagues, which is like, I mean, it was like no one, no one wanted to let me go. <laughs> they didn't want to keep me and they didn't want to let me go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is such a phenomenal record in the relationship that you built up and the trust, you know, when you're a big league coach for a long time, there's got to be a lot of people that trust you, you know, not only the manager, the other coaches, the players, the front office, the general managers, the owner in some cases, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of trust there for somebody to keep a job that long. And the, probably the primary reason is that, you know, you're really good at what you do. Well, I, I like to think so, but I think you, you hit it on the head when you're talking about uh, somebody having a trust in you. And I, re, I recall being with the Orioles for like 12 years and I've always seemed to outlast the manager for some reason. But when Mike Cargrove took over that job, I remember calling him and, and telling him, look, if you, you want somebody that that's from your own organization or a coach that you know that you like, you you more than I, I certainly understand that and that you could feel good about do, taking him instead of me. And thank goodness he said, no, I saw you on the other side of the field and uh, I like what I saw and I'm going to keep you. So that that's kind of what uh, we're talking about in the game. Yeah, that was, we had some great years there. That's, I went over to, with Mike too. And, uh, you know, that we had so much fun and we got so many stories. We'll probably incorporate a couple of them into this. I'm sure you'll want to make fun of me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, with all the success you had and been part of such so many playoff teams, uh, what do you feel are some of the important elements of, of, of a contending or championship ball club? I mean, there's nobody could speak to it more than you could. Well, you know, I, I think the, the real obvious thing is you, you, you have to have a, a, an overall gr group of good talent. Uh, and then it goes to starting pitching. You, you know, I've been on some teams, the Mets and the Phillies and some of those clubs where you, you were five deep in starting pitching. And then you had a closer. So if you didn't get to where you were supposed to get to, you were able to shut that game down. And then if you really, for me, for me, I thought the, the team that, you, that did not panic was a great team. And I've been, I was on some teams. I was on Seattle Mariners when they came back and uh, put that saying in that said refuse to lose. They never gave up and didn't panic. The Philadelphia Phillies, team like the Phillies, we would be in a World Series and, you know, I, I might be nervous as can be. And these guys are coming in the dugout laughing and, and just going back out and playing like it was nothing. Matter of fact, they could go out there with an eight-game eight winning streak, lose probably the toughest game they had all year long, and go back out and win seven more. So they had that kind of a uh, toughness about them and, and no panic. The Reds had a great chemistry. They had more fun in the clubhouse and pulled together more than you ever want to see. 
the Mets, team like the Mets, they were, they just wanted to chew you up. So they were tough as nails. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of what you got to have those kind of teams in order to keep, keep winning like that. Uh, some pitching and uh, no panic. Let them go out there and play the way they have all year long. You know, I, I know that the Cincinnati Reds were known so much for their nasty boys who came in. They had multiple guys that could close um, to finish games off. But I remember in talking to you about, uh, uh, about your manager and how unbelievable he was that year when you won the World Series and how he seemed to make every right call. He'd put a guy in, take a guy out. Every button he pushed pitching-wise worked. Is that is that pretty? Who are you talking about? Davey? No. Lou. Cincinnati. Lou. 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 Lou scared me sometimes. I mean, he he was – he was two steps ahead of everybody. You know, I've been, I was in a dugout on multiple occasions and we'd have a, we'd have a pitcher on the mound and he was in a, a situation in the count and he started his windup and, and Lou actually went, no, not a slider. I mean, he hadn't even thrown the ball yet. And sure enough, the ball got hit in a gap and he threw the chart then and the chart went. But uh, he did. And he, he, the thing about Lou was the tougher the game, the better he was. So when you got into that late innings, you're going to have to outthink him somehow, you know, to win that ball game. So you always felt comfortable that he, he knew what he was doing. And he just, you know, you, he made you tough. He made you tough. He, that's all there was to it. He was, he he knew what he was doing. He 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 did, he did cover his pitching well. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing, and I I was glad to be on a, a part of that ball club for sure. Yeah, that was you know, it's amazing that you know like the one thing I've noticed from when I've been in the big leagues and coaching in the big leagues. Teams that go to the World Series or even or and not even win, but get to the World Series or win it. If you ever look down the road, how many of those players have end up having over ten years in the big leagues? You know, it's like it's like they were better than you thought they were. It might have been their second year in pro ball in in the major leagues or third year, and their careers lasted a long time. You know, every guy on that team seemed to have long careers, and that's kind of a sign of the kind of talent and, and makeup that that guys have when they get to that that part of the season. I think that's that's a great statement because you you would have a you'd have a guy out there that uh, he was pitching well or playing well and. All of a sudden, it was that part of the year, and they were thinking about trading someone. And you, you, you know how you look at a guy and say, "Is he going to come back to haunt us?" And I always looked at those guys, and I said, "If he's smart, if he's a smart player, he can come back and haunt you." So I would never want to trade that kind of guy. If a guy wasn't particularly taking care of his. Uh, Baseball, uh, you know, then, then he, you would uh, you would feel okay that if you wanted to make a deal, go ahead and make the deal. 
But those those ones that last a long time, you can ask. I know you probably can, Mark, where you had a guy and we could pick out a year and a situation and you can probably go through that sequence of pitches, how you got that guy out, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I think when you're, you know, we talk about players, we want them to be invested. When you're a coach, you're probably way more invested than any player would be. Because I know when I coached, I threw every pitch during a game that our pitchers threw. I called the pitch in my mind um, uh, to see if if they were on the same page of what I thought was the best pitch to throw. Um, you know, I had to watch him to see if there was an adjustment needed to be made where I had talked to him about an adjustment or even uh, an adjustment mechanically as well as an adjustment in the game when a, when a hitter had made an, had, had, had counter-adjusted against you. Um, you know, so you stay on every pitch and I know you were, you were an unbelievable infield instructor. And I know that you used to, we used to sit there and talk about guys, uh, on the infield and how, how guys receive the ball on a stolen base, the, the, the middle infielders where you liked them to stand at the, at the, uh, at the second base bag and so, and used to teach me mistakes guys made in certain positions um, before a pitch was thrown or when they were fielding a ball. Now, you coach some of the greatest infielders ever in the history of the game, and I'd like you to name some of the shortstops that you worked with and maybe some stories or or something about how you, you felt like you helped them get better. Well, I've been very, very fortunate in, in all areas, you know, to, I, I feel like I did my job well, but at the same time, you, you, uh, end up with, uh, a great bunch of guys talent wise and person, personnel wise. Um, you know, we brought, when I was in Seattle, we brought a rod to the big, big leagues. Then we backed him up a couple of years later with Omar Vizquel, then Barry Larkin, Mike Bordy. Cal Ripken, Tejada, and Jimmy Rollins, just at shortstop. Wow. I think the only one I missed was Jeter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these guys, th- these guys coached themselves. You know, what, what I w- always wanted to do was I have each guy have a little key, you know. You know, if somebody comes in and says, I don't feel comfortable, I, I would review his – his key that makes it puts him back in sync. And, uh, so the, they shouldn't be not taught any at the major league level. You should never stop instruction at that point. And I'll tell you a, a, a good story about the guys that are good, gutsy, uh, players that think about the game all the time. And that's Mike Bordick. And Mike and I were, we, we were, Great uh, coach and player relationship. In one game, he was at shortstop, and I thought he should have been at, over a little bit at shortstop. So I whistled out there, and I waved my hand a little bit to the left, and he looked at me like I was crazy. And I looked at him again, and I told him, get over a little bit. And he crossed his leg, and he looked at me and never moved yet. And I finally said, get over. 
and he eased over like there. Is that good enough for you? Well, the good Lord was in my hands in that next pitch because he hit it right where he's standing now. And he comes in the dugout and he storms by me. Of course, it was all for show. And he storms back by me. And I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, I should have known that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I should have known that. Oh, wow. That's what he was upset about. They don't get much better than that. No, I, we were together. He broke some record, man. I was with him. He had 112 consecutive games, airless games at shortstop, I think. And then the next day, I think he made two. Yeah, I remember. It was a major league record. Yeah, I think it's still there. But that's a, I'm going to tell you what, that is a group of all-stars and gold glovers. And I think the, the, the biggest improvement guy that I ever was with was Ryan Howard. And when I signed with the Phillies, I, I didn't know Ryan Howard. I didn't know any of their guys, really. And uh, he had called up and the Phillies called and said, look, Ryan wants to meet you down at Florida, uh, USF, South Florida. He wants to work on his defense. And supposedly he had been struggling a little bit. And I, I went down there for, you know, like six weeks, three times a week. And just to make a long story short, he, he bored down. I mean, he's, he wanted not to be laughed at. He wanted to be good. And he took to just about everything that I taught him. And I finally got called a guru. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things that said, why can't I ever be called a guru? <laughs> and he, when he came back out that season and went like the first 56 games without an error, played his butt off and had a great time at it. Unfortunately, he had that Achilles and, and it was a little tougher after that. But he was probably, they went in and signed him to, $125 million contract or something like that. And, you know, those are the kind of things that I really, really like. Um, and I look at this, you, you asked me to look at these guys. I could go down the list and tell you probably what does each guy do differently than anyone else and do it better than, and like Jimmy Rollins, I, I, I would look at that group and he could go to the middle by second base bag, catch it, spin, and throw a strike to first. He, that was just one thing he could do better than the other. And somebody uh, somebody different than that, like Viscal, if they hit an in, infield pop-up, I don't think I've ever seen anyone catch the ball over their head as good as Omar. It's just a, it was a, it was a bunch of things like that that you gave each guy a little key, a key to, to work with, uh, and then let them go ahead and do the thing. Will you got well, it? Yeah, no, you know, I, I, I've covered the Phillies now for 35 years and that transformation was incredible. I think the two best transformations I've ever seen of a guy who was a below average defender to become a, probably an above average defender was you with Ryan Howard and, I think Perry Hill with Jose Vidro uh, when he was in Montreal. He was not a very good defender who could hit. And 
Yeah. Perry Hill. Perry Hill did a hell of a job with him. But um, I did have a a question of your early managing days, and this was one of the better minor league teams I ever saw. That '83 Lynchburg team and some of the players that went through there. That was the end of my career, and I I went from. Salem. I was with Steve Smith up in Salem, and uh, then I went down to Miami to be a player coach with the Padres at that time. But that team you had there, and you know, we've actually talked about some of the guys how good Gooden was and Dykstra, and I, I think you got Magadan after the draft. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that team. That was pretty pr- pr- <laughs> pretty nice team to have manage as an early manager. Yeah, we had Mark Carey on too, if you recall. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think we had Greg Olson, Eddie Hearn. Yep. I mean, a bunch of. We were 96 and 43. Right. In right. A ball. It was like a, amazing. Yeah. And, and we had had, uh, I remember Frank Cashin. Um, he sent some guys to me, some pitchers. And he said, I want you to do me a favor and find out if these guys are suspects or prospects. And um, for some for some reason, we, we got these guys to focus a little bit better. And they were moving like crazy out of there. And, you know, almost it seemed like almost every one of them went to the major leagues. But it was it was really amazing. And there was there were times when there were some other teams that would wanted to overtake us and would send guys down out of double a just to play when we were playing. So, uh, that was a, that, uh, you know, Gooden was freakish for a 19 year old that year. And, uh, was, was Jim Bibby with you at that time too, or no. had, had he, not, okay. Bibby came in later to Lynchburg. He always did a nice job with the pitching. In I there. had John Cumberland. Oh, Cumbie. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, you know, from my playing, coaching, scouting, you know, uh, uh, I just saw really good. The Phillies had a team in Clearwater that was one of the better A-ball teams that I've seen in a while recently. And then I like trying to compare in my mind that that 83 Lynchburg team was was incredible. Just yeah, we, we had our – well, we had our uh... – Minor league director, uh, we had, well, let's see, we, we had five really good starters. Jeff Bettendorf, Jay Tibbs, Gooden, uh, Bill Latham. Oh, that's we, right, yeah. And, and we, 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 were, we were pretty good, you know. We could throw the ball hard. We could do some things. And uh, we ended up sending some guys up, and I'll never forget the – I had like Jay Tibbs was like my last starter that I had. That's right. He ended up pitching in the big leagues for a while. He did. So, yeah. Yeah. So he, he came in the game and uh, uh, let's see how, how it was that where he, he, he came in and the, we won the game. And then I have to take pick of find out who in the heck can uh, start our games. And he called me up and I put, I th- put one of the players on the next game list and uh, he calls me at eight o'clock in the morning and starts jumping all over me. Like, why are we pitching him? I said, well, I'd like to tell you I'm pitching Dwight Gooden, but he isn't here right now. Right. 
So he got all over me, and this kid goes out and pitches a great game. Wow. And then, and then he turns – I get a call, 8 o'clock call, of course, the next day, and he says, you lucky son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's you know, great. it's amazing. You know, we we talk about a lot of stuff, uh, stuff you've taught guys over the years. You know, we have a lot of young listeners and their parents uh, that that tune into the podcast. What advice would you have for them and particularly drills or techniques or mentality would you suggest to get them better? Well, I, I'm pretty basic when it comes to infield play that the less you have to do the better you're going to be and you could get in the slumps and in people don't realize they the hitters in a slump the pitcher's not pitching good well infielders go into slump also you know you just don't see it like you do the other thing and that what i mean by that is if if i had like 40 games in a row without an error and then i made one and then the next day I made another one, I, I'd get a little jumpy out there. And uh, so I had a drill called, a, I called the quiet hands ju- drill. And I made the guys come up on the infield grass, put the glove down. You're going to catch it with one hand. I don't, you're, you're allowed to use your feet, but I want the glove to sit and then let the ball go into it. You'd be surprised how good players could be by doing that drill. And what it did was it, it settled you down, quieted you down and allowed you to feel good again. when you were fielding the ball, you know, we had some stuff, you know, the analytic people have always have their stuff and I got my stuff and they start talking about, and you may, you may have seen it where they, they teach, you know, start position where you're jumping up in the air well oh i know <laughs> I, I don't know if you, you're saying that right yeah oh it, it, it's it's hideous it's like and synchronized I, swimming and i said i said look we we they they talk about it like it was something that never ever happened again ever before and i said everyone moves jumps up it's just only an inch so your feet can get back down and you can get going. And it was the darnest thing, but I would do that drill. And I'd also give those guys keys, you know. I remember uh, Rip or Bordy or Barry Larkin would come in and say, I don't feel comfortable. What do you see? I say, okay, you're laying back now. You're laying back too, too much. And then the next ball, the guy almost overcharge it. And you give things, you give kids just basic stuff, but do it well. And and this drill, I've I've taught this drill for years. The players love it. I'm talking A-ball players, rookie players, and big league players. And I've had big league players get traded and stuff like that and come by, you know, and be in town to play against us and him walk up and said, look, I'm still doing the quiet hands. And I don't think you can do much better than that. And, and it's easy for kids to do. And you get really instant feedback. And, and it's, it, it'll calm you down and, and get you out of the slump. And it's just one of those things that you, I always did with the kids. A good start position, 
quiet hands. The harder the ball was hit at you, the, the less you need to, to move around. Uh, and it really worked well. Yeah, it's, you know, we can make, you know, people try to put their own stamp on and recreate the game. And they come up with these things and we see them all the time on YouTube. Um, you know, we, Fry has a podcast on our network and he addresses it a lot on hitting on how many of these self-promoted gurus come up with this reinvention of the game, which makes no sense. And it's complicated, you know, it's crazy. Um, you know, to, to go back to your years as a big league coach, um, you, you coached for some of the best managers of our era um, with Lou Pinella and Davey Johnson, Mike Hargrove, Charlie Manuel. I mean, can you give us just a little bit about each guy and, and how you feel, um, you know, what was their strength and, and, uh, and what they were good at? Well, let me start with, uh, let me start with Davey Johnson. I, I was managing AAA. I was a September call up as a coach. They won the world series and made a move and moved me from the managing job in AAA to the major league third base coach. I don't think I could have had a better man than Davey Johnson teach me at the big league level, how to coach third base and give me the freedom to do and not be afraid. I don't think there's a better person than that. Anytime that I uh, sent somebody or held somebody, uh, I would go in and Davey would always lean towards you. You could have sent him if the ball would have done this, you know, everything was positive. I don't think he could have done any better. And his, his saying was, this is what he would tell me. I don't like not knowing. <laughs> I want to know whether he's out or safe. And I had one time in one game, I had the last out made at home plate the first three innings and I went and they were all legitimate sins. And I went into the dugout right where Davey was sitting and went bent over and got a drink. And I started to walk away. I said, I'm going to start holding hold them now. And he grabbed my arm and he said, you start holding them. That's when you answer to me. So I was very fortunate to have him. And he was, he was great at his pitching moves. I thought, um, Mike Hargrove was he he was a wonderful man. Uh you had to get to know him. We had a blast in the dugout with Mark uh there with us and uh I I will give you one little story to make you laugh is uh Grover and I were sitting there and Mark was sitting there and it was a tough game against the Yankees and they had Ruben Sierra. We need we needed to get this guy out. So we're sitting there, it's a tense moment in the game we're going oh my god we got Ruben Sierra up and sure enough the first pitch Sierra swung so darn hard he hit a dust storm and and Mark yells out all right he's swinging hard <laughs> and I'll never forget Grover and I looked at each other and we said I feel better don't you <laughs> but Grover was Grover was good he 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 loved his players. Uh, he was 
a softy at times. You know, I used to have to prod him to to yell at the team, and he said, "I said he said you think I ought to say anything?" I said, "Not if you're gonna you're gonna make it cheesy." So it was uh, he was great with that. Lou Pinella, well, I don't know what do you want me to tell you about Lou. You you had thick skin or you were gone. And it, this guy in 1990, like we talked about, made every move you could possibly make. And I'll I'll never forget the one time where we were starting, we were trying to clinch the the division, and we we had been up by a lot of games and we lost about eight straight and we're down to three and a half game lead with a couple left. And I'll never forget him. All of us coaches being in the coach's room with our head down and Lou walks in and says, get your head up. They ain't going to catch us. Just like that. Like all the air just reached, went right out of us. And we just took a deep breath and said, okay. I mean, he just said, get your head up boys. Well, they're not going to catch us. And sure enough, the next night we won a ball game and they, they didn't catch us. Who am I missing? Charlie. Charlie. Charlie beautiful. Charlie never, never had a meeting that he talked about winning or losing. It was never one of the topics. He never, if we, if he had to talk to this team, this is what he said. He came in and you think he might say, uh, you guys aren't running the ball out or, or you're, you're panicking or you're doing something. Charlie come in and say, we are the Philadelphia Phillies. We don't act like that out on the field. He never said anything about uh, the winning and losses. It was always the effort or how we carried ourselves. And he told us when we would win a lot of playoff games with him and we, I'll never forget. We, when the game was over, we just shook hands and went out on the field, just like we always do when we win a game. And his saying was, act like you did it before. Yep. And uh, and it was really true. And I, I, I enjoyed uh, him talking to the ball club like that. And he was fun. I mean, he, he didn't panic. He, he was great in tough situations. And... Uh, I had Ray Miller. Ray Miller was, uh, you know, always, if you listen to me, I'm always talking about pitching coaches. like they were only people that were my friends for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I knew where my money was. I got one Ray, for you, Sam. What Ray about was Leo Mazzone. Pitching coach. Leo Mazzone. Leo and I are childhood buddies. We lived a couple of miles apart. We grew up together. Uh, my, our, we're, our dads were, were good friends and, uh, and I, I just, I remember, you know, playing and Leo had finally quit, quit playing and went into coaching and I went out to his house and I said, what's it, what's it like? Because I had probably, you know, run out the gamut on playing myself and, uh, he ended up, uh, giving me some good advice. And if you want me to talk about some of his pitching stuff, I will. Oh, please do. Well, you wouldn't want to hear him right now if I talk to you about it, analytics. So we, we would probably have to put the sensor on him. Uh, 
But Mark, he told me to tell you he really liked you. He always uh, thought you did a great job, and he liked the way you carried yourself out on the field. He made made me he made me say that, so I, <laughs> I already knew it. So let me get that out of the way. Yeah, he was a pitching coach when I was managing in Double A. He yeah. was a pitching coach for the Braves and uh, in the minor leagues, and uh, so I, I knew Leo from a long time, and. Uh, you know, Leo, you know, the, the, the thing with Leo, I think Leo gets gets some knocks sometime because he had three Hall of Fame starters. Yeah. You know, and he always makes fun of himself saying, well, you know, of course I was pretty good. I had three Hall of Fame starters. But, you know, having been a big league pitching coach, I know that, you know, it doesn't matter how good the guy is. Uh, part of your job is keeping him in that good frame of mind. Uh, knowing when to pump him up, knowing when to coach him. You know, like you say, I think a lot of, I'm sure there are a lot of young coaches in the big leagues now that are afraid to coach guys. You know, they, they, especially now that they have their own guru coaches in the background. But, you know, the one thing when you're in the big leagues, you know, you can't be afraid, you know, to tell Greg Maddox, uh, you know, or Glavin, you know, that, uh, hey, you know, what you're doing there is not going to help you, or you might want to try this. And and I know Leo was good at that because those guys were as even keel and as consistent as you can get. And it's not all about their talent. It's all about, you know, a lot of it's about keeping them, they're mentally, they're keeping them mentally straight. You're, you're absolutely right. Cause he, he taught me a lot, you know, by talking and teaching and, uh, uh, he he wanted his he would he he tell me he'd go down to, and throw aside with Maddox early in his career when he got with Leo and you know any other rookie coach or something probably would have been intimidated and he 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 threw aside and uh, flipped the ball to Leo and he says what'd you think of that coach <laughs> and Leo says I thought it looked like crap. And he gained his respect because he didn't want him to be saying something that wasn't right. But his, you know, there was an article in the, I don't know if you saw the Tampa Bay Times a couple of weeks ago about arm injuries and uh, Tommy John surgeries and how many there are uh, nowadays. And I mean, the, the throw hard throw hard as you can, as long as you can, you know, has, well, is a great recipe to shorten your career. Right. And that wasn't what he did. His, and, and Mark knows all this, so I'm just repeating probably, but uh, he, he would throw, his starters would throw twice in between. His relievers would throw every day unless they'd use common sense if the guy pitched two, two innings the night before. He wouldn't, but they just regulated the the effort of the pitches, and it made total sense to me. I said, "Look, I, my infielders they take ground balls every day. The batting the hitters hit hit b- batting practice every day. What where do the relievers go? When do they throw?" So he he had the starters to throw twice between starts, the the relievers to throw every day using common sense, and I said, "Well." Well, that means they're practicing. They're, they're practicing. We wonder why he got all his pitchers all got 
down and away strike from the umpires, down and away strike, down and away. Before you know it, they moved it out and it was down and away way, you know, and they were still calling them strikes. So he, he taught me that. He taught me, like, I, I'd have a – when I'm managing, I was managing. Leo was my pitching coach, and I, I'm, things are cruising right along. I I'm, I'm feel pretty good about this ball game. It's, it's a seventh inning, and uh, our guys got, like, 75 pitches, and he's cruising. So after the inning, as soon as he gets the last guy out, Leo looks at me and says, who you want next? I said, what are you talking about? I said, the guy, he's only got 65 pitches or something. He says, Sam, they were a hard 65. And sure enough, the pitcher would come in off the field and says, I'm done. I go, oh, my God, I'd be panicking then. But he teaches his guys to go nine. They don't go five. They don't go three. He teaches them to go nine. The mentality that it's not that way now. Uh, change speeds. Uh, I don't know. His guys go to the post. He's yep. proud of that, and he should be. They don't have any, He had maybe one, maybe not one uh, arm surgery thing, and to me, that's a that's a pretty darn good thing. So, uh, you know, some of the pitching's not. It's not quite. You know, guys, it's different now. It's just different now. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, you go back, I, I, you know, in 1975, Jim Cott, who also has a show on this network, um, I was with the Twins and I knew Jim from, from, from the Twins and he was with the White Sox at the time and he called me and a couple of the other young pitchers over to watch his, like, second side between starts. He was a 20-game winner with the White Sox, I will mention. And he would show us, he would just repeat his delivery. He was probably throwing a little more than half speed, three-quarter speed uh, velocity, but commanding the ball. And he says, I do this twice between starts. And then I'll fast forward to 1995. We're playing the Atlanta Braves in the World Series. And it had rained. It was early. It was before a game. And and it was raining. And uh Leo says, well, we'll throw underneath the, the stadium. So, you know, I was having my guys throw in a cage under the stadium. And, and, and after I finished, I walked over and Leo says, yeah, come on over here. Watch. This is what we do. We, we throw twice between, uh, twice between starts, nice and easy. And it was like reminiscent of Jim Cott from back in 1975, 25, 20 years earlier. Right. You know, it was like, yeah, this works. These guys throw 250 innings. These guys throw complete games. I mean, they come on. They healthy. It worked then. Why won't it work now? We had Scotty McGregor on. And, and you know, it's like changing speeds doesn't work. Come on. It's always worked. I mean, you, you remember Maddie eating up a hitter? I, I, I mean, he's chasing the ball all over the batter's box. And then throw that comeback pitch and – and freeze somebody. Uh, it, it's just it's it's different, you know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to say on that. I, I guess some of that's. I have my thoughts on regular analytics and the, and and what it can do and what it can't do. And 
Well, the problem is, is that nobody's going to go back in time because there's too much of different philosophies now. And you mentioned it, you know, grip it and rip it as hard as you can, as long as you can. Well, when you have that philosophy throughout baseball, um, you're not going to get complete games. You're not going to get command. You're not going to get the ability to pitch and feel. Um, and the guys that do have that, we've discussed on other podcasts, the guys that do have feel are really successful in today's game, just like they always have been. And they probably pitch more innings than the other guys do. No question. I think that. But for some reason, you know, people don't want to go through history. You know, I mean, when you talk about world conflict, you know, the best leaders, they, they remember history. And that's how they help them make better decisions. And I don't think we do that in baseball. Great point. You know, we use a, I mean, I think analytics has a place in baseball. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a guy where you, you think that you can't use it whatsoever, but just from my, my side, I mean, I, I think you use it for evaluating mechanics, maybe uh, some, some trades to help you with knowing a injury history or and things like that. Uh, and that, and that helps. And there, there's some other things probably, but, but the game has survived for a long time. And I thought it was pretty good, pretty darn good baseball game. Uh, I, I see some of the other things that, that go on and wonder why we have to change that kind of thing. And I d- definitely just just for the record, I, I don't like the cheat sheets coming out of the hat. This is because when yeah. I played second base and and a left hand hitter drove two of them in the hall, I knew where to play the next one. Well, that's what. But they don't even know the pitch that's being thrown now. You know, they're so afraid of people stealing signs that the pitcher, the infielders, don't know the pitches the guy's throwing, so they can't cheat. You know, that's the amazing thing. We've talked about it before. If I throw a changeup and we, we're playing the guy up the middle and I throw a changeup uh, to a left-handed hitter and he hits it through the hole between second and, and, and first because the second baseman's playing up the middle, I'm going to be mad. He should have known I was throwing a changeup that he'd roll over it. Absolutely. And, and I don't think... There's no way they know the signs. They don't. How can you play a professional game of baseball in the infield and not know what pitch is coming? I absolutely. If I did not, if I'm in the infield and I did not see the sign, I was in total panic because I didn't know which way it was going to go. And I think sometimes we 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 like to take we try to unintentionally. We try to make things happen, but we take the ability for the player to think. You know, what were you thinking? Well, we were really teaching them not to think. We're saying, stand here, stand here, stand here. You know, they don't say anything. Now, if he throws a changeout, you can move a little bit on it or cheat or, uh, you know, get prep ready so that you might have to go that way. That's that's just ha- thinking that's baseball you know and and you you can't nothing's ever just exactly the same 
So you, you have to watch the ball game. You can't watch an iPad all the time. You just watch the game. Sometimes you just got to watch the game. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I took a guy out of a game one time when I thought his pitch count was low or high, and it was. It was only a second start. And, uh, you know, things things never went well after that. Um, but, you know, if you're watching uh, you, and you move somebody or do something, you know, it, it's it's like an infielder calling coverage. You know, whether the guy steals is a second baseman covering or is a shortstop going to cover. Well, you should already know what the shortstop's going to call on the coverage. He's going to say fastball away to a right-hander. The shortstop's going to come here because the ball's probably going to go to, to me at second base. Now, the difference is when that is called and the pitcher didn't put the ball in the right place and they pulled it instead of hit it the other way, and you, this guy comes in off the field and I say, what'd you call? He says, I called this, and this is what he threw. I walked away and said, nice thinking. That's exactly right. You know, it's not a precise game. And people, I never wanted a second guess. Often the pitch was the right pitch, just didn't get it to the right location. You know, so there's no second guessing there. The guy made the right choice, made the right pitch, but you're human. You make mistakes. Absolutely. I think that's a great, that's a great point right there. You know, I always, I just remember, I just remember that really well. It was like calling coverage. I mean, we were in a, we played in some fields of the lights weren't too good and you couldn't see the catcher putting the signs down there. And I remember me and the shortstop going, he goes, I didn't see it. And I'd, I'd call the coverage cause I saw it and I knew what he was going to do. Uh, I, that's a, man, that's the great part of baseball. I, mean, I know and it's lost because they're told everything to do. Exactly, you know. You, you, I sometimes I think the players get too much that they get, they get too much info and and don't think at all, and and that's not a good thing either. Big problem for sure. Well, they just passed a rule now. It's going to be at the high school level. Now high schools can use the earpiece to talk pitcher to catcher to coach. So it's uh, it's becoming. It's it's like it's my global pandemic. I know you guys are bothered by it too. We're saying we kept Sam for almost an hour right now, and we appreciate all your time, Mark. Will do you have any last questions you want to throw at Sam? No, I just I don't really have a question. I just you know I just that that you know people like Sam should at the very least uh, be advisors to owners or general managers. I, I don't understand how you can take people with Sam's experience at the highest level in the most competitive moments and not want to hear some advice from that guy because you don't know it all. And people can think they know it all, uh, but it's a lot better when you've got a guy that has no agenda, but just wants somebody to win and give you the right kind of advice. Yep, I agree. That's, that's what prompted and sparked our production network and all these shows trying to give a voice to people that we need, we need, we still need to hear out there like Sam, uh, Sam, we got to have you back. Can you, will you promise to come back for us? Absolutely. Uh, we'll have you back every week. If you'll come on. Will anything last for Sam? No, I uh, greatly appreciate it. So many great points and 
you know, just to highlight what you talked about with Leo, uh, Leo was teaching guys how to execute pitches. Right now they're chasing data, uh, spin rate, pitch shape, velocity. It's not a pitch. It's not a quality pitch. A quality pitch is a quality pitch. And no question. It's, 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 and you see it in hitting, you know, oh, wow, his exit velocity is averaging, you know, 111. Well, yeah, and he swings and misses. When you put in the swings and misses, his exit velocity comes down to about 30 with all the <laughs> strikeouts. So, I, I, you know, yeah, there's a lot of value in, in data, but the, there, you can't replace the value of things that have worked for a long time in the game of baseball, and that's going out and working and doing the, doing the, the hard work to be able to go execute, execute and do your job the right way. It's well said. Well said. It doesn't have to be an either or. And that's the problem I have too. Um, yeah, exactly. I think it's everybody, you know, it's just sometimes you feel like experience is the worst thing you can have. Well, challenge con- challenges conventional wisdom. That's why it's, it's, I think it's more of insecurity than anything else out there. Well, Mark and Will, as usual, great guests. Um, you guys kill it every week. And Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Our audience definitely got smarter today, grassroots all the way to front offices. If there's a front office out there listening, which we know they are, there's your next hire. Um, special assistant to somebody somewhere to give you some knowledge out there. But um, Sam, you gave our audience a treat today. We have a very intelligent audience, and they, they eat this stuff up. So thanks for feeding it to them. And for Mark and Will, episode 228, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching. 72 countries supporting you two, close to 40,000 subscribers now. Um, we're starting to get work with sponsors, proposals, and all that stuff. Now we're, now we're big time, right? But um, we appreciate the work you guys do, Mark and Will. Thanks again for your show. Great job, Sam. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, right, hey, I'm fired up. Let's go. We, I, we got the playoff games coming or what? Well, we're signing you up for next week. We're, we're going to run you all the way to the playoffs. You, you get to become your weekly uh, weekly spot here. So if you're if an MLB club won't bring you on as an advisor, you can be our advisor here on Real Voices of the Game. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a special show for the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. That's it. Well, guys, thanks so much. Episode 228 in the books. Have a great day, guys. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.